Even if you talk to somebody and they give you a correct Sunday school answer, are you, are you a missionary even though you're not on the mission field? They might say yes, but it probably would be more honest for them to say, I don't really believe it. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you're going to hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission and community and discipleship. Today's episode is from one of our coaching intensives called Made for Mission, where we coach others on how to practically live out the command of Jesus to go and make disciples in our Western context. So if you want to learn more about A Thousand Houses or check out some of our resources, visit 1kh.org. So now imagine you were meeting somebody who wanted you to support them as a missionary. They were really excited for the mission of God, and you were feeling a very deep connection with this person. And they were, as they were talking and talking about the support they were raising, you start to ask questions, of course, like, where, where do you plan to go? And when do you plan to leave? And they said, well, I haven't really decided on a location yet. Um, still doing some research, but we're, we'll get there. But right, we decided to go ahead and you know, raise some support right now. And so you felt generous and you also are excited about this person. So you go ahead and give a, a gift to them that's ongoing. About six months later, you check in with them and say, hey, so like, how are the plans going? What's going on? Have you guys picked a field? They say, well, not yet. We're still thinking about it. We're still praying about it. Haven't picked a field yet. You call them back in a year, still the same story. You're still supporting them. Two years later, same story. Haven't picked a field yet, but you know all the support's raised. Three years go by, nothing. Five years. At what point would you say, okay, I don't know if this person's really serious about mission. They haven't picked even a place to go yet. And so you probably at that point, I'm guessing, would consider at least withdrawing that support. Well, this imaginary missionary without a field uh, is you and me. It's where most of us are at. Jesus has saved us. He's given us all the resources of the kingdom. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us a huge assignment and most of us, if asked, what is your field? What are you called? Who are you called to reach? What is your strategy? With all those resources pouring in, we would say day after day, year after year, I don't know. I haven't picked it yet. And so we're going to really dive into how to solve that problem once and for all, uh, because it's a serious one. And I definitely relate to this problem. I have been somebody who has been so ensconced in the Christian bubble that if you ask me, like, what are the list of four or five non-believers you've been reaching out to lately, having deep conversations with, it would always be difficult for me to answer that question. There were definitely a few coming and going, but man, it was always very small, and I didn't know how to meet more people. There was no strategy, and it was really confusing as to who I was actually trying to reach, and I think that was a major reason why this was so difficult. So why is this such a common story in our culture? Um, within the Christian uh, bubble of Western Christianity in particular. Uh, so studies have shown that actually the longer you are a Christian, the less likely you are to lead a non-believer to Christ. Now, why is that? You would think as a Christian, you're growing in maturity, you're growing more and more in your depth of faith, more resources, your gifts are getting stronger. Why would your fruitfulness get smaller and smaller, at least in this area, the longer you're a believer. 
And most people who have studied this say, well, it's really a simple problem. You lose your non-believing network. You simply have fewer friends, fewer relationships, fewer people who know and trust you that aren't believers. The longer you're a Christian, the more the longer you're a Christian, the more you're really encompassed by that Christian bubble. It's a real thing. It's a huge problem for us to be on mission in our own culture. So we need to figure out really practical ways to do that. And we're talking about how do you build real deep friendships and relationships with those who don't know Jesus. And you guys, like if we think about what is at stake here, imagine if every disciple took finding their field with the same importance as a foreign missionary. This is one of those areas where it's so clear that most people in Western culture, most Christians don't think that they're a missionary. Even if you talk to somebody and they give you a correct Sunday school answer, are you, are you a missionary even though you're not on the mission field? They might say yes, but it probably would be more honest for them to say, I don't really believe it because I don't know who I'm reaching. I don't have any strategy. There's no really accountability for whether or not I'm doing any mission work in my own context. And so I don't really think that we believe we're missionaries. Uh, if we say we do, then we have to figure out how to answer some of these most basic questions, 100% of missionaries that are actually, that see themselves as foreign missionaries have already answered. We have to answer those for all of us as believers. And so that's what we're going to dive into in this uh, this segment. Now, we're going to try to make it super simple. Uh, and we're breaking down all of the ideas of how you find your field into these four categories. Um, and we're saying, again, that finding your mission field is, an, is as easy as PIES. P-I-E-S is an acronym. And so we're going to walk you guys through each of these. I want you guys to imagine as we're talking about this, which one of these you resonate the most with? If there's some that just feel like, oh, I don't see that as going well, which one of these uh, really would work for you? And that's really what we're trying to figure out in this segment. So the P stands for proximity. So those are people that are close to you, right? So some people's mission field is their neighbors, people in their workplace. The second letter I is your interests. Many people in our culture find building relationships easiest through mutual interests. These are called affinity groups. This could be a shared pastime, something you enjoy doing that other others enjoy doing. We're going to talk about how to use our interests. Um, e stands for experiences. So some of us have shared experiences with others that really cross over into the non-believing world. Things like you know, trying to get out of debt. Whole groups are created around that. Foster care, addiction recovery, divorce recovery, lots of those areas where you might have experience overcoming something in the past that you would love to share with others. And so that can be a real fruitful field of mission. The third one is stands for service. Uh, many of uh, many believers understand our call to serve, but oftentimes we even even when we serve, we serve inside a Christian bubble, only alongside of other believers. One of the greatest opportunities for service for mission is to actually serve and and do your service with other non-believers, not just for non-believers, but with non-believers. So we'll talk about how that works in in that segment as well. So let's break these down. And again, what we're really trying to figure out, what we want you guys to really think through is what's resonating with you, what would feel the easiest for you uh, in terms of being able to engage sustainably in mission in whatever your lifestyle, your, your context looks like right now. So the first one we talked about was proximity. I want to give an advantage, a challenge, and a solution to the challenge for each of these four areas so that you guys can get a good picture of what this might look like. So proximity, the advantage is 
is the ability to enfold people into community once they come to faith. So if you're reaching out to people at work or at, in your neighborhood that live close to you, a huge advantage to that is just the ability to uh, obviously see them on a regular basis. But once they do come to faith, enfolding them into some kind of community because proximity is right there becomes really easy. And so a lot of people that do uh, really uh, strategic mission work in the West really focus a lot on proximity. One of the challenges is that when you look around at people at work or you look around at your neighbors, that's a pretty fixed pool of people. And so if those, if that's actually not, not people that you relate well with, that there's not a lot of people, you, you work somewhere and there's only like two or three other employees or you live someplace where there's not a lot of neighbors around you, then of course that's a really defining kind of problem. So some, for some people this is really practical, depending on where you live, where you work. Other people this is less practical. So a solution if you do want to engage in proximity is a big uh, strategy, especially a prayer strategy a lot of people use when they're really engaged in proximity is to do a lot of praying over each house in their neighborhood or each position at their workplace. Because as people are coming and going, what you're asking the Lord for is, because I'm on mission here at my workplace or I'm on mission here in the neighborhood, if there are people you want that are ready for the gospel that you want to see reached, please bring them here. Bring those hungry people to my workplace or into my neighborhood. All right, the second area is is we're saying for spelling out pies, the I stands for interests. The advantage here is it makes you relatable with lots of common ground to talk about. So if you've ever seen two guys who are into motorcycles and they meet each other, it's like poof, they're just off talking for the next two hours. It's really easy to connect when you can get around people that have shared interests. The other thing is that in our culture, we're increasingly an affinity-based culture. That's one of the things that's unique about the West. We're it's really easy to find people uh, through technology, through the internet, who like even very, very strange, uh, you know, niche interests. And so that can be uh, really a fruitful ground because people love meeting other people that are into what they're into, especially if it's sort of a rare kind of thing. So there's a lot of advantages to this one. This is where I spend most of my time in mission. The challenge, of course, is that you have to become very intentional about finding these people. You can't just expect to trip over them at work or in your neighborhood. You have to actually like look for those pools. Once you, you start looking, the solution here, you guys, is that if you get creative and aggressive using your technology, tapping your network, you can often find these people. So there's a, there's a quick solution. Oftentimes there are groups of people that have an affinity with each other. You wanna be the hub for that group of people when at, at all possible. And if you find a whole hub somewhere else, like there's a Facebook group of all these kinds of people, you wanna join that, get to know those people. But if there isn't a hub, be the hub. Like be the place where those people are coming around that interest. And what you wanna do is when you're talking to believers, you just tell them, look, I, I started this group, I got this club going, whatever it is, you know, we're really into, like for me, I, I have these three Ps I love, I, the philosophy, poker, and pickleball. I just tell everybody, look, these these are things I'm into. I spend a lot of time in these areas. I know a lot about these things. I want to meet other people who are interested in these things. Do you know anybody? Do you know any non-believers that you would bring to like a little event that I would have that would be based around one of these interests of mine? So you can do this uh, very easily, but it does take intentionality. You can't just hope this happens. And so this is a big area for people in terms of building out their field. The third one is experiences. The advantage here is that conversations when you're building community and building relationships around experiences go deep fast. So when you're talking to people about getting out of debt, and you, you may have gone through a course in which you've gotten out of debt, you feel the freedom. People that are 
on that journey that you're, you've already been on, they will tell you lots of deep things in terms of their life, their struggles, their philosophies. And oftentimes they're very hungry to have those conversations and they're also in transition. They're very open to any changes. And so divorce recovery, if they're getting into adoptive care, if there's other things that you have, experiences you've had, you've gone through that have been very difficult to go through and you're on the other side of it and you wanna help those, you definitely don't wanna do that exclusively inside of the Christian bubble. Push that outside of the Christian bubble. Meet non-believers who are seeking these same things that are looking for uh, help and coaching in an area where you have a lot of insight, you have a lot of experience, and rhythmically get to know people inside of that field. And you guys will find all kinds of opportunities to share the gospel if you can make experiences a central part of the field that you're called to. The challenge, of course, with experiences is it requires a lot of time and emotional investment. Every time that somebody is going through one of these really difficult experiences, you don't know if they're gonna call you at two in the morning, you don't know what you're really diving into when they are trying to come out of some kind of really challenging experience. And so you really have to ask the Holy Spirit for help and be prepared for that. Um, you also want to recruit others in the in the community, and oftentimes you want to do this through a team, so that you're not you don't burn out, you don't feel alone. Again, this could be a really heavy field, but it's also incredibly fruitful. The last one is a lot of times we can find our field through acts of service. This is so kingdom oriented. Jesus said over and over again about the kingdom of God being about these acts of service, about serving those who are the least of these, those who are struggling the most in our society. And again, a lot of times when Christians want to engage in service, we decide to do it within the Christian bubble. Now we might serve non-believers, but we will only serve alongside of other believers. And I think that that is another opportunity missed potentially to be on mission. What if you looked for organizations, groups, in your community that, that actually are engaging the kind of service opportunities you want to engage in, but they are attracting people from lots of different uh, parts of the city. So, or just even that are being led by secular groups. Or in, in our case, we have, uh, we've done some serving through our local Unitarian Universalist church. They don't believe in Jesus, believe me. <laughs> um, but they, they're, they are super interested during the service. I had some immediately deep conversations about Jesus uh, that I never would have had had I just served through um, with other believers that have very similar doctrines to us. And so it's really great to find secular uh, avenues to serve. And you wanna do that again with team. You wanna do that at least uh, two by two with one other believer. Um, so that's a huge, another huge advantage of this group is that when you actually are seeing a non-believer come alongside of you and serve in that way, oftentimes they're seeking the kingdom of God and they don't know it. Like they are like, there's gotta be a better way and they're convinced of that, and they're willing to put their own time and their own energy into trying to seek that other kingdom. Now, they may call it whatever they may call it. It could be a political uh, kingdom that they think is going to solve these problems, but oftentimes, really, what they're seeking is God's kingdom, and again, they don't see that, and so th those people are often extremely good believers and disciples of Jesus if they come to faith, because they already are willing to lay down their lives and sacrifice for uh, some other 
greater thing. And so there's really huge advantages to being involved in this kind of a mission field. The challenge is that oftentimes those same people are hostile towards organized religion. So if you talk to those people and, and invite them to church, you're probably not going to get very far with some of these folks. Um, however, what you really want to do in the solution here is distinguish Jesus from religion. Let them see genuine Christian community, and they'll begin to see, again, this is oftentimes what they're seeking anyway. They're looking for opportunities uh, to see this greater kingdom. And so we want you guys to take some time and think about these four opportunities, proximity, interest, experiences, and service. And we want you guys to, first of all, force rank of these four, like which one would you put number one, number two, number three, and number four. Really think about how you're built how you most easily engage in relationships, what feels the most sustainable for you. And so begin to think about that. Think through, especially in those number one and number two categories that you ranked as the top, like what are the advantages and what are the challenges that you're most likely to face? And so as we get deeper into coaching, actually talking about which of these four areas you're most looking to make your field, which one you feel most called to, this is going to be a part of our conversation because we want to help each other create a really effective strategy for being a part of that field and engaging that field and going deeper and deeper into finding the non-believers. Jesus, again, he said that the harvest is ripe, and so we have to go into the field. And so we got to pick a field, have a strategy, and so that, those will be the next few steps we'll be talking about. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you're feeling a yearning to learn how to make disciples in the West, we just want to invite you to join our Made for Mission Coaching Intensive, where we combine online content and personal coaching that's going to provide you with the teaching and the tools and the encouragement that you need to actually see disciples made in your context. So for more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash made for mission. We'll see you for the next episode.